And welcome back, all you stickers out there. Today's episode is releasing on September 10th, 2021, which is Suicide Awareness Day. Um, so I wanted to make sure to do something extra special for this day. Leslie Wyrick is a, a guest that I interviewed last year for Suicide Awareness Day, and she's back. So this episode we're talking about, now it'll be a fifth anniversary for the death of her son to suicide, and she's been doing some great things. So I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to Stick Around, a suicide discussion. If you or someone you love struggle with mental illness, this is the place to be. I'm Kel Bjorn, and I'm passionate about helping others discover ways to find value in their lives. You've got friends, you've got family, you've got plenty of people who want you to stick around. So let's open up and see if we can make a difference. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Kel Bjorn, ready for another Stick Around episode. And this time around, I'm pretty excited. I'm meeting again with Leslie Wyrick. And uh, for those of you that have been listening for a while, you'll know that I interviewed Leslie one year ago, actually, this week. And uh, the reason for that is it's, it's another anniversary for September 10th is um, the Suicide Awareness Day here in the United States. And it also happens to be the anniversary of her son's, her son Austin's suicide. I guess it's been five years now um, coming up this week. So we wanted to do kind of an anniversary episode and kind of go over what Leslie's been up to in the last year and all kinds of great things she's been working on. And uh, so wanted to bring her back in. So welcome to the show again, Leslie. It's good to see you. Thanks, Kel. It is great to be here. I can't believe it's been a year, right, since we spoke. Yeah, um, a lot has happened, I think, on both ends for us. I mean, I, I kind of took a break in the summer from doing a whole lot of podcasting, but kind of back in action. And, and the first thing, I guess, that I've noticed as far as what you've been up to, and we talked about before we started recording, is last year it was clearlyhope.org was where Leslie was kind of sharing her story and she was doing a lot of speaking engagements and whatnot, even with COVID. Some of that was probably virtual <laughs> right. back then. Um, but now it's it's lesliesope.org and you've made kind of a brand shift. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what was the reason sure. behind the name change and what's the focus sure. these days? Sure. Well, I'll tell you, Kel, you know, I've learned, I just, every year I learn more and more about mental health and suicide prevention, but in getting out into the community, especially in the middle of the pandemic, um, you know, I was getting a lot of calls from schools and organizations that wanted me to speak and share our story. Um, but I, I was actually also getting ready to partner with our community mental health center, which is called Oak Lawn. And um, we serve two counties. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about why I decided to uh, join up and partner with them at the beginning of 2021 in January. But it was clear to me that um, I needed to have a, a new, I guess, a new brand identity because of people um, who were trying to find me, I guess we would say search engine optimization. But so I, Oaklawn helped me develop a new brand and I speak, um, I used to say I speak all over the Northern part of the state. Now I said, I speak all over the state. And now I'm actually speaking all over the country. So I, I have a kind of a unique brand where I, um, I talk about brain science. I talk about mental health. I talk about all of the things like anxiety, depression, it's all real, but I also um, blend that and wrap it around my faith and my background with my faith. 
And I want to make sure that I leave everybody, you know, with a really strong message of hope. So as we were looking at my new brand, one of the things we needed to have is the word hope had to be in there. And I told the man that was designing my website, I said, we've got to keep the word hope. So we just really added my first name to the word hope. And it's leslieshope.org. My email is leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, at leslieshope, no apostrophe, just L-E-S-L-I-E-S, and the word hope.org. So I have had a tremendous amount of um, positive feedback on that brand change. And it seems like people are able to find me easier now. Yeah, well, that's great. That seems like a little bit of the focus has been on schools in particular, or maybe that's just the group that has reached out to you the most. Does that seem to right. be the case? Uh, yes and no. It's been it's been interesting. So I'll tell you a little bit about well, how I ended up partnering with our community mental health center. I had been, after Austin died, really researching programs, um, suicide prevention programs around the country, not just around our state, but around the country looked at several of them, knew that we needed to bring those into our community, but it's a, everything is a matter of funding, right? So yeah. how could we make this happen? <clears throat> so last October, the CEO of our community mental health center, um, who had heard me speak at a function, reached out to me and asked me if I would consider joining them, partnering with them in, as their first suicide prevention specialist in two counties. So my official title, I always told everybody, you know, when you're you're at a function and somebody says, what do you do for a living? And you say, well, I'm a suicide prevention specialist. Sort of either it ends the conversation right there or yeah. it starts a whole line of questions. So yes, I am. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I speak all over on behalf of the Community Mental Health Center. In the morning, I will speak um, at a mental health breakfast this week uh, for uh, licensed clinical therapists, counselors, and people in the community. Um, I will speak at local um, uh, community groups like the Kiwanis, the Rotary, kind of wherever anybody wants to hear a a message of mental health. But um, on my own, as Leslie's Hope, um, I'm getting out more and more speaking to, um, uh, I have a huge heart for the veterans. I'm going to be doing more and more work with vets. As you know, they have a higher risk of suicide with PTSD and other things. Yeah. Just got invited through Leslie's Hope to speak in, at Fort Bliss in December to the soldiers, because what people are missing in talks on mental health is where do we go from here? What do we do? Where's the hope? And that's what I love about this program. So with Oaklawn and the partnership with Oaklawn Cal, what we decided to do was seek the funding for um, uh This program can be in elementary, middle, and high schools. Now, we are right now focusing on the high schools first because we feel like that's the greatest need. We will be implementing it starting next Tuesday. I am very happy and proud to say the first high school that will implement this program will be my son, Austin, school. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's That's very meaningful. Yeah, very meaningful. So this program teaches um, what we call the upstream approach to suicide prevention. They actually don't even call themselves a suicide prevention program. They Mm. call themselves a wellness program. And it really, really is about, um, you know, it's, it's, as I tell everybody, if you know the famous story about Kevin Hines, who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived and tells his story, um, we want to get these kids before they're on the bridge, ready to jump off. Yeah. We want to get them upstream. And what sources of strength does is it has eight protective factors that are in your life, my life, these kids' lives, 
we want to say it's not enough to have one protective factor in your life. You need two, you need three, you need four. So what we want to do is tap into the strengths that these kids already have, teach them how to draw on those early in life, teach them resiliency, not if, not if, but when, look what we've just lived through, right? Yeah. When the hard times come, where do you draw your source of strength from? So on this wheel are eight protective factors. You know, you have things like healthy activities. Um, you have things like spirituality and faith, you have mentors. I mean, the data shows kids that grow up with a mentor have a much lower risk of self-harm and suicide. Wow. Um, so you have, you have these eight protective factors. So the beauty of this program, Callum, what I love the most about Sources of Strength, it's based out of Colorado. It's in 40, it's in 30,000 schools in 40 states now. Happy to say it'll be in our two counties this fall. Yeah. Is it's peer-led and peer-run. The students run the program. The students own it. And it's never going to work if we go in there as adults and try to fix these kids. It's a culture change that we're trying to implement here. So what we do is with sources of strength, we go in and we do an all staff training. And that means everybody in the building that wants to be part of it, bus drivers, cafeteria workers, teachers, guidance counselors, everyone. We, we introduce the program and it's really a wellness hour that we do for them because I'll be honest with you, they need this program as much as the students do because it's been a yeah. tough, yeah. tough year on teachers, right? Absolutely. So they need to get their buckets filled. So we do this, we do this source of strength wheel with them. We teach them how to draw on their own strengths. We, we show them where the strengths are in their lives. We get the wheel out. We show them how to use it. And then we identify um, the adults in the school or the community, it can be in the community too, a coach, a youth pastor who might want to be an adult advisor in this program. And the way this works is for every seven to 10 peer leaders and a peer leader would be a student, we have one adult advisor. <clears throat> so then once we've identified the adult advisors, then we set up the adult advisors nominate peer leaders in the school. And a peer leader is any kid that is an influencer in his or her group. Hmm. And when I say that, I mean, like, we have gone into schools and we talk to the teachers and they'll say, I am not going to nominate him as a peer leader because he is a behavioral issue in my class. And we try to talk to them. We said, listen, he may be a behavioral issue in your class, but he's also an influencer in his group. Yeah. Right. So what we want to do is we really want to flip the script. And so we go in there and we have them from all diverse groups. We don't want them all being on the football team. We don't want them all being band kids. We want them being a diverse group dispersed throughout the student body of these peer leaders. The teachers nominate them. They identify. They have to accept to become a peer leader. Now, we don't really like to call it a club, but it's kind of like a club. It meets yeah. twice a month. And what we will do as a community mental health center is we will give them a budget to run a PSA campaign. Mm. And so say one month they might have like a TikTok video competition and that'll be like, hey, hey, what's your source of strength this month? You know, or what's, what source of strength do you tap into first? You know, whether it's spirituality, whether it's healthy activities, whether it's mentors, you know. Um, so anyway, and then like the next month they may do a t-shirt campaign. So it's really, really getting the positive messaging, using the power of those social networks and that peer influence 
to really, really build positive messaging into these kids to change the culture of the school. And the biggest data point for sources of strength is a peer leader, right? Another student, AKA another student is four times more likely, four times more likely to identify an early risk warning of a suicide in another student before an adult would. Oh, I so, yeah, yeah, that's a game changer. So when you're talking about identifying risk, so it's breaking the codes of silence. So these peer leaders know that they have trusted adults and these adult advisors, you break that code of silence in the middle and they work together to prevent suicide. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a game changer. The schools that have been using it for more than two to three years, they have seen a reduction in bullying school violence. I mean, it just, it changes a culture. Um, What I'm, it's a great program. And what I'm super excited about with this program is we live in the RV capital of the world here. We make recreational vehicles where I live. Oh, cool. Yeah. So the RV industry, they've done very well during COVID. Oh yeah. (laughs) They've done very well. find one anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So they have provided a lot of the funding for this program. So we have not even had to go out and seek grants We have had the funding come privately through the RV industry, but now I'm getting inquiries from HR people within the RV industry. Can you come in and teach sources of strength to my employees at this plant? Can you come in and talk to them about your wheel of strength? So when we talk about changing a culture, we have to talk about the parents and the family, as well as the students, because you can't work with a student during the day, send them back into a dysfunctional home, right? So if they're speaking the language about sources of strength and they go home at night and the parent just heard it in their workplace, there's a new language. There's a new culture taking place. So that's what we're, that's what we're working on. And we're really, really excited. Well, what I'm, what I'm hearing, the the, the part that excites me the most is, I mean, a lot of these interviews I've done, you know, the focus has been, well, maybe not the focus, but a common theme is reactionary. Right. someone's suicidal what do we do right it's right oh they you know they went to the hospital and they want to take their own life and now we got to right. therapy and getting to a therapist takes too long we need to shorten that gap you know and there's lots of problems there when right. when the when the flag is raised but what you guys are doing is like no we need to jump this way before they get to that point yep it's Start. truly prevention it's truly truly prevention yeah and it's fine and it's finest because we said you know once again we don't want to, we don't want to get these kids on the bridge when they're ready to jump off. We want to move upstream and we want to start early, early. We even have it in the elementary curriculum and that's a totally different curriculum because that's taught since they're elementary, they don't have peer leaders, but we will start sources of strength so that every kid, when they go from like the fifth grade to the sixth grade and they go to middle school, they see that wheel on the wall. They're like, there's my source of strength. I know what I do when I get, when I'm stressed, what do I do? When I'm stressed, you know, what do I do? So say, you know, one of their sources of strength is positive friends. That's one of them on the wheel. Well, say their positive friend might've moved away or gone to another school. So they've lost that. So what's your second source of strength? What's your other source of strength on that wheel? So teaching them, they have multiple strengths in their lives that they can go to just like it's innate. And so the only way we're really, really going to change the, the numbers in youth suicide in our nation is by the upstream approach, building resiliency in these kids from a very, very young age. Yeah. Well, I can see right on your, your website, there's a link 
to yes. sourcesofstrength.org yes. where yes. you can see that wheel. So if anyone's yeah. interested in this and kind of piquing your interest, take a look yes. at that, which is actually, this is interesting timing because today, this morning, I got a text from my brother and he knows I'm involved in suicide prevention, doing the podcast uh-huh. and whatnot. And he said, Hey, at work, um, they're looking to do some kind of mental health training. And he's like, what kind of, I I've, I've heard a ton of resources on your podcast, but like what off the top of your head should you point me to? And this would be a great one. And well, I went on your website because yeah. I was already looking at it, kind of preparing for this yeah. episode. And I was like, not this one in particular, but down farther, there's some more. Yeah. And I guess that's one of the things I'd point out to the listeners here is leslieshope.org is, is a great source for just other resources too. Like, yeah. Hey, here's this program. Here's this program. Here's this program. Yeah. I'll probably send them this one now. Cause like you're yeah. saying you get that with the schools and the workplace. It's just a great way to approach it. Yeah. It's seamless. It's seamless. I told my husband, my husband has, he's a, a director of HR for a large um, motorhome company. And I told him, I said, this would be a great one to bring into your you know, bring it in on the lunch hour, you know, and we could serve lunch and show them, you know, how to use their strengths, what the source of, and I know in Colorado where it's based out of, they have used it like in companies as large as AT&T, they have gone into the corporate setting. Now I'm focused because my son was 20 years old and my passion will always be youth suicide, Yeah. whether it's youth suicide in a young soldier or youth suicide in a college student or youth suicide. But I'm, I'm really targeting that 10 to 24 year old range because once again, my, my personal story was in that, that age range. But um, the one thing I will say with COVID and, you know, suicide statistics are always, they're never accurate because of the stigma. We can talk about that. But, but um, one thing that has been really, really apparent in the last year is that suicide has become younger and younger and younger which is heartbreaking. So when we're seeing 10, 11 and 12 year olds, we had a local school here about an hour from where I live. We had a 12 year old boy hang himself in the locker room. Oh, man. You know, when that's happening, we know we have got to be in those schools much earlier, much younger. And, you know, and so it's, it's almost never too early to start. You know, the language may be different as we start a younger age, but it's never ever too early. And once again, Sources of Strength doesn't even call themselves suicide prevention. They, they really say they're empowering a well world. And so they're really, really talking about wellness and wellness leads to suicide prevention, right? Yeah. Wellness leads to reduction in bullying. Wellness leads to, so if we're really taking care of our, our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit, which we know this past year, you know, our world has taken a beating. And so getting back in these schools is going to be very, very um, important in terms of wrapping, wrapping ourselves around mental health with not just the students, the teachers, the counselors, the social workers. I work with a lot of social workers in schools now. You want to talk about a tough gig. Be a oh, social yeah. worker in a high school now. Yeah, well, that's a that's a tough job. Well, my so, mind goes straight to medical workers, you know, and oh. friends with some doctors in hospitals and they're losing nurses because they just can't hack it. You know, the hours and the the stress of it right now, is just overwhelming. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I, and like you said, we were talking about earlier, Kel, you know, we thought we would be through by now. Right. We thought we, there was a light at the end of the tunnel and now we're moving into, you know, mask mandates again, 
the variant, you know, no one knows what's going on. You know, if you've been vaccinated, can you still catch it? You know, there's just so many unknowns. And so it's really, really, really important that we, we live in a culture where we know when we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling depressed, it's natural, it's normal, and we have resources to help you with it. So, yeah. you know, we want to raise our kids to let them know things will get tough, but when they do get tough, what's your source of strength? What do you do in times of stress? Where do you go? What do you draw on? And so that is built in them. It's just a mechanism. When they start feeling this hopelessness and despair, they have somewhere else to take that besides suicide. Yeah, that's a great point. Because you're really, you're, you're equipping them with the tools necessary to attack the problem, really. Exactly. I, it's interesting. I, you know, I think I've talked with you before last year, you know, my history of depression and whatnot and things I've tried and my most right. recent uh, meeting with my doctor, because they're like every year, like, well, how's your medications and that kind of stuff. And we were talking about it. I'm like, you know, I think medication helps to a point, but you kind of have to do a lot of other stuff to kind of train your mind and try to make improvements. And he said, I love this line. He said, yeah, one of the phrases we use in the medical industry is, pills don't teach skills. Oh, I love that. I, just, I uh, might have to quote that you on that. That is just perfect because I am going to write that down. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, because I, I think I, too many times yeah. we throw pills at a situation and they're like that and they can't help. And they, they definitely right. help me kind of kickstart into a right direction. And right. who knows, I might go off of those eventually, but um, there's, there's a lot more to it than just hoping that some medication can help because Pills don't teach skills. There's, there's no. nothing else to it. It's just no. fascinating. And, and you and you bring up a really good point. This is a good segue. You know, I always teach these kids. I go into, I do a lot of talks in health education classes. So that's about the seventh grade, eighth grade, that, that middle school. You know, every school is different, but that's usually about the age it is. And, you know, when I go in there, you know, we talk about impulsive thoughts, you know, mm. and why you cannot, can't base decisions on feelings. And here's why. And then we teach them about their brain, the amygdala, you know, at the back of your brain, the amygdala is very reactive, you know, whatever you see on social media, or if you broke up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, everything is just, you plummet, you know, it's the end of the world and you, you just can't, you can't live another day. Well, then we talk about, okay, there's another part of your brain and it's called your prefrontal cortex up here. Talk about it. And I told him, I said, here's the tricky part for you guys. If you're 14 years old or 16 years old, you have 11 more years. You have 13 more years because researchers used to say it was 25 years old and it was fully developed and full functioning. Now yeah. it's 27. So when, even when people see pictures of our son who was six foot four, 240 pounds defensive end, looks like this big strapping, strong, young football player. It was a full had, grown man, right? Had, they assume. He had seven more years for his prefrontal cortex to be developed. Wow. So that higher level reasoning, that critical thinking skills, when push came to shove and he was in the heat of an argument with a young woman that night, it failed him. It failed him. Huh. So, so, the sources of strength program will be one that when you get in that moment, when push comes to shove, 
you know, and we're talking about, you know, there's a lot of factors. There's a lot of variables in everyone's suicide. You know, every suicide is unique, Yeah. but we can track and the data can track when you build in certain skills in these kids, once again, without the pills, you build in the skills, right? When you build in resiliency, when you build in these kids, knowing that I can get through this because I am going to go shoot basketball this afternoon when I'm feeling bad. I can get through this. A young girl could say, I'm going to step out and look at the stars tonight and know there's something bigger than me. Hmm. I can get through this because I have a mentor and I'm going to go talk to him after school today. So when they go, they have that go to those sources of strength, then they don't reach that desperation point. And, and my talk in the morning, I'm giving a mental health talk. One of the things we're going to discuss is there's a 24 to 48 hour window, a crisis point when people are suicidal or having suicidal ideation. And they're at that real crisis point, as I want to say, I'm jumping off the bridge, whatever that may be, if it's gun or pills or whatever, that if you can, if you can keep that person protected for that 24 to 48 hours, data shows they probably will never take their life or have that period of a window again, Hmm. but it's keeping them safe in that window. So what I say with sources of strength is if we teach these young people resiliency and we teach them coping skills that are healthy coping skills, you know, not alcohol or substance abuse, but healthy coping skills, they're not going to get to that 24 to 48 hour period as quickly and maybe never. So it's really, really building that resiliency upstream when they're young and teaching them, you know, when they're at a crisis point in their life, what is their coping skill? What is their coping skill? You know, and I think in our culture, just because we have access to things, just because of our, the way that we live, our coping skills have become so unhealthy over the years and whether they're food or alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. You know, I mean, work can be an addiction. Anything can be an addiction. Yeah. Um, but um, we go to our healthy places a lot sooner. And that gets us through that crisis point or we don't reach that crisis window of 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot of great information there. I'm thinking kind of this whole time you've been talking, when you talk about that, uh, you know, fully development, the age of 27 and whatnot, just culturally, we're, we don't look at it that way at all. Right. It's kind of like right. you graduate high school, you're 18, you're an adult, you can yeah. vote, you can, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's time yeah. to, and that's stressful for a lot of people. Some kids, you know, they know what they want to do and it's like, not an issue. I think of me right. at that age and thinking, what? Like, I, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing or what I want to do. And that right. was very overwhelming for me. And to, right. to kind of, have that kind of training for me at the time would have been helpful. Like, Hey, look, you're still like nine years out Mm -hmm. (laughs) to really fully developing and and Mm -hmm. having that kind of ability, you know, but it's, uh, I don't know. Overall, I feel, think we've kind of failed as a culture for, I would agree. I would agree. Transition from that time period. I would agree. And I would have loved this program when my kids were in school. Um, because, you know, once again, my son was an overachiever, very high achieving, very, you know, hard on himself. And I think if he would have had been taught these coping skills early in life, when he went to, you know, we look back and we'd say our son Austin battled depression 
he hit it so well. Hmm. No one ever knew because instead of, you know, um, plummeting, what he would do is he would work out an hour or two longer in the weight room. Um, if he had a bad day, he would, you know, um, get up an hour earlier and study for a calculus test. I mean, he just, he was that hard charging driven personality, which of course is at a higher rate of suicide because one of the things that I've learned is, you know, and I tell everybody failure is not failure. Failure is education. And I said, if we, another thing our society has really failed at Cal, and I'm the first person to say this, you know, I'm not a perfect mom. My son took his life, you know, and I have a 22 year old daughter. She'll be 22 next week. I I worry about her every day at college, you know? Um, So I think, you know, once a parent, always a parent. But one of the things I say to parents is you have to let your kids fail. Failure is not fatal, but failure is the greatest lesson. And I think when so many kids that come from these, I want to just say overachieving parents who are trying to have their kids in every activity, I mean, well-meaning, you know, every activity, every, every musical, every soccer game, everything is the young brain needs a little downtime to rest. Yeah. It needs a little time to rest, recharge and recover. And, and when you're going, 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 and, and going from one activity to the next activity to the next activity that leads this expectation in life that, you know, everything I do has to be successful. Everything I do, I've got to win every game. I've got to, you know, I mean, my son couldn't handle an A minus. And the problem with that is you're going to go out into the world. As my son did his weak link was relationships. That wasn't perfect. He couldn't hmm. fix it. So if we don't let our kids fail at an early age and failure builds resiliency in our kids and resiliency builds protection against self-harm and suicide. So it's really, really all connected. Yeah. I see that a lot with my kids. They're really young and sometimes they don't want to try something because they are afraid of failing. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I'm not, or we'll try something really quick. And I'm not good at it immediately. So I don't want to do this anymore. Right. This isn't my thing. It's like, well, you just, that's where it's, you know, you got to, yeah, you start from somewhere. I mean, no one is going to be instantly great at something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of kids are like that. My kids were like that, you know, if they couldn't be good at something, you know, in the first week, then they wanted to give up on it. And I think the thing is, I, I said, there's, there's gifts that have come out of the pandemic. You know, we know, you know, it's been hard, but we've learned a lot. And one of the things I was reading an article that talked about how um, COVID really taught a lot of kids and younger kids um, resiliency because we couldn't do anything about the mask. We take our kids out. They had to put a mask on, you know, we couldn't make COVID go away. We couldn't stop the virus. You know, they, we did hybrid learning or at-home learning. You know, it wasn't a perfect scenario. You know, yeah. sometimes technology failed, but our kids learned to pivot. They learned, they learned that, you know what, this is what happens in life. You know, it's not, you know, you know, okay, where's your mask? Did you bring your mask? Do you have your mask with you? You know, they're, they have learned as much as we hate to say this, a new normal. And in many ways they have become much more adaptive and resilient than we have as adults, you mm-hmm. know, they, as they, as they've grown up with it, like they have yeah. with so much of technology, but, but so COVID's actually taught our kids, life's not perfect. Life can get really hard. And yeah. life can stay hard for a long time. 
So what are we going to do? What are we going to learn from this? And how are we going to get through it? Because eventually we will get through this COVID-19 pandemic. And when we do, what what are we going to bring with us on the other side? And what are we going to use? You know, and so I think that that's the beauty of sources of strength is no matter what's going on in your life, you have multiple areas to draw from to get you through. And um, that's what we're really, really looking forward to teaching these kids um, starting next week. Oh, that's great. Big changes. A lot has gone on in the last year. It's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things I I thought of as you were talking there, when you said, you know, I'm still a mom. I had a a son that died by suicide. Um, I, you know, you've buried yourself in this work and I would imagine some of that helps you cope. I mean, it's been almost five years now, right? but that, you know, that missing person in your life is, is not, it's not fixing that. Right. And I'd imagine right. with all these conversations and trainings that you do, that there's got to be other people that really relate, that reach out to you that are like, oh my gosh, she gets it. But I, I don't know even what I'm asking. I, I guess, how are you doing? I guess is my question. Through all this and all the trains with other people, I'm sure that helps. But do you find yourself looking into this sources of strength thing and be like, you know what, I, I need this too, because oh, I still absolutely. miss him like crazy. Mm-hmm. So how is it helping you as a person going through these processes with other people? Well, it's a great question, Cal. You know, um, on my website, I have a grief page and grief is another area that I've I've been very, very interested in all my life. I've had multiple losses of family members. Hmm. Um, In fact, last Thanksgiving day, I lost a brother um, who um, uh, to leukemia and it was very sudden. And um, it was my second brother that I had lost. So, you know, I, um, I've had a lot of loss in my life and one of the things that I tell everybody is, you know, and just like suicide is unique, so is grief. And everybody has a different story. And I have been, um, I've been grieving, um, and this would be another podcast for another time, but I've been grieving since I was 17 years old and I'll mm. be 62 this month. So, you know, I feel like I was born to grieve wow. and I've lost people throughout my whole life, but um, suicide is a different kind of grief because I think just the way our society looks at it. And I tell people this all the time. I, you know, once again, I, I feel like I repeat myself when I, cause I speak to so many people now, but I had a good friend that lost a son in a car accident. He was 17. And I said to her, I said, do you know um, the difference between you and me? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, after you lost your son in a car accident, if you're in the grocery store, um, somebody sees you, they come up, they give you a hug. They, they want to know if they can bring you a meal you know, come over and visit you. If I'm in the grocery store after my son's suicide and someone sees me, they avoid eye contact and they move to the other line. Yep. It's, it's so awkward and uncomfortable for them and they don't know what to say to me. Um, and, um, you know, we even have families who have lost kids to suicide and obviously not everybody has a speaking program like I do, but they follow me but they will never reach out to me or speak to me because I think it's just so uncomfortable for them. And sometimes it's just, um, there is still some denial in their grief. Um, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing anyone's grief. Everyone grieves differently. My husband and I have talked about this many, many times. You know, he is very quiet. 
he shares our story very openly, but he shares it more in a one-on-one capacity. For example, he'll have a young employee who's really struggling maybe with depression or anxiety, and he has the opportunity to bring them into his office and share our story with them. And then he checks, he checks on them and make sure they're okay. And, you know, and, and so we're, we're using our story differently. Both of us are, but I, um, you know, grief is not finite. And that's what I say on my grief page. I said, you know, Oprah has a podcast that says what I called what I know for sure. And I called my grief page, what I know for sure about Mm. grief. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things I said to everybody is grief is not linear. You know, I can take three steps forwards and four steps backwards. Um, and I'll give you an example of that. So today, <clears throat> tomorrow morning, I speak at a mental health breakfast, share our story. Um, and they did a beautiful PowerPoint for me. And it was a, a lot of pictures of my son and um, my logo on there. And it's just really awesome. This is the beauty of working with the Community Mental Health Center. I have a lot of resources behind me now. And they sent me my PowerPoint today for to look at before the talk tomorrow. And Cal, I just cried. Hmm. I mean, it was beautiful. And um, it brought back a lot of memories. And of course, you know, I had sent them all the pictures, but not seen it put together in that way. And um, I can't tell you that I won't cry tomorrow when I have that PowerPoint up and I will probably tell the audience, I'm not going to promise you that I won't tear up this morning because it's a difficult week and something about five years seems very, very, um, um, it seems like a milestone. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think that's why I'm really excited this Saturday, 9-11, we will host our first annual Austin Wyrick Memorial 5K. It's around a beautiful quarry pond here called Fiddler Pond. Hmm. Uh, two, two loops around. We'll have family, friends. I've got several hundred people coming out. Um, I have a beautiful t-shirt called, uh, I've got Team Hope. And on the back, it has number 37, which is Austin's football number. So it's $37 for the t-shirt. Hmm. And then that goes directly into his scholarship fund. Um, we have given away matched with the Dollars for Scholars program in Indiana, we have given away $20,000 in the last five years in college scholarships and super proud this year to say we had our first female recipient of the Austin Weirich Memorial Scholarship this year. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Really awesome girl. And um, we changed up our scholarship during COVID. And now it is for um, a student who is going to go into the mental health field, either social work, psychology or something. So she's studying social work and, you know, all of our students have to write an essay about a challenging circumstance. She was a sole caregiver of her mom who had a lot of health issues um, while, you know, running track, uh, being the president of the senior class, just everything she did and overcame many, many challenges and also shared a story of, you know, depression in her own life and, and, and suicidal ideation in her life. And now when I think about, you know, this young girl, I had the opportunity to take her to dinner this summer and meet with her. And this, and she, her story is actually on my website too. Her name is Sasha, Sasha Ramos. And um, she's just an incredible young woman. I mean, I was inspired by her. And I think, so this Saturday, um, we will have um, 10 states plus Canada and the UK walking in Austin's memory. Um, we've sh- we're shipping t-shirts all over the world in the country. Mm. 
And uh, we're excited about that. So I felt like this being the five-year anniversary, <clears throat> we also want to keep that scholarship fund perpetual and going, that it was a good year to start our walk. And so we're looking forward to that. And hopefully, you know, we'll be outdoors, so it'll be COVID-friendly or whatever. We'll be able to, you know, everybody will have space and we'll be able to be outdoors. Not everybody's going to run. Some people will walk. We have yeah. a lot of families, kids. Um, <clears throat> we do have prizes for the first place um, finishers, both male and female. Um, and then um, uh, we are just really, um, really honored that Chuck and Mary Hansen, Evans' parents, the other young man who took his life in 2018, the co-captain of Austin's team, yeah. his, his mom and dad will be coming to walk with us. Um, so we're really excited. Um, I was with them in July they did a golf outing in, that they have in Evan's memory and they raised $64,000 for wow. Evan's scholarship. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, his is perpetual, so it will go on forever. And that's our goal to build ours up so that when we're no longer here on this earth, Austin's scholarship will still be given away every year. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It gives us something to look forward to, you know, and we are, I said, my, my house has exploded in a sea of hot pink. Austin loved pink. I have a, a lot of stories about that on LinkedIn. If you follow me, I have led up to why we chose that color. Yeah. And I've seen I, that he'll have like a, a pink shirt and tie yeah, on with a suit yeah, or something. Yeah. 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 And so we were, and I, I had somebody say to me the other day, you know, pink is breast cancer awareness color. And I said, you know, I love pink and it can be breast cancer awareness in October. It can be light pink, but we are bright, hot pink in September and yeah. pink number 37 represents hope. Yeah. So we're all about hope. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Well, wow. Leslie, it's been an awesome update just to see you, you were already doing great things last year, um, but to just kind of see the momentum that's building I mean, into this, this fifth year is, is pretty impressive. It's really cool to see and the amount of work that you're doing and, um, it kind of makes me want to buy a t-shirt to be honest. Oh, I'll have to send you one I'll Saturday. One. You have to send me your kids sizes and I'll get t-shirts out. So you guys can have your own team out there. I don't have Utah represented. So that would be good. I, yeah, have, Colorado. Get that covered. I have Colorado, I have California, but I don't have Utah. Yeah. So yeah, we're really, really excited. I'm telling everybody to do a hashtag, do it for Austin. And then of course be here tomorrow and stick around. Um, and yeah. so I'm trying to do, um, we get hashtags from all over the nation and the UK. And one of the things that, you know, I speak about a lot, Cal, and I tell everybody, here's the thing. Suicide, as you know, Cal, is the great equal opportunity offender. It does not care what your zip code is, what country you live in, what color your skin is, your socioeconomic background, it impacts us all, yeah. you know? And so I think for me, you know, the last school that I spoke at February 25th of 2020, before COVID shut the world down, um, was uh, a charter high school in South Bend, Indiana, not far from Notre Dame. I spoke to three 90-minute health education classes. And one of the questions that I asked them at the beginning of each class was, would you mind raising your hand, you know, if you've lost a friend or family member to suicide? And I told my husband, that was my aha moment that day because over half the hands went up in every class that day. Wow. And I thought, we've got to do something about this, yeah. you know? So, and then, you know, fast forward, COVID shut the world down. So we are getting back out there again. We may be speaking through masks. We may be, you know, I'm vaccinated. I'm ready to go into schools to do what I need to do. Yeah. So we are, 
we're ready to go. And Team Hope, um, which is sources of strength. And, you know, it's a phenomenal program. So you check it out. If anybody has any questions, they can reach me at Leslie at leslieshope.org. And I'll be happy to answer any questions about it. Perfect. And I'll put plenty of links on the, the show notes right. for the episode as well. You can just click right through. But what you, you said can. there about kind of the great equalizer is, I, you know, since we've talked, I've interviewed more people from other countries and same kind of thing. Like no matter the politics of the country in the world, if you've gone through experience like this, it's like none of that matters. You get on the you same speak level. speak the same language, don't you? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It really brings you together as humans rather than races and religions and countries oh, it and does. that kind of it- stuff. Oh, it does. And mental health is mental health. You know, anxiety is anxiety. Depression is depression. You know, I have people reaching out to me. I have built quite a following on LinkedIn that I really appreciate. They're very engaged in mental health. I have reached a lot of people. Some people, um, I am um, one of my big mentors is Anne Moss Rogers. She lost her son to suicide a couple of years before I did. It was, and he had battled an addiction and um, she doesn't incredible work all over the nation. But I also had another woman reach out to me who didn't lose a child to suicide, but lost a child. And she's writing a book. She actually lost her son to a medical error, which is a mm. whole nother topic. Oh, wow. But, wow. and he was only six years old, but her name is Lori Saunders and she lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. But she said, I've been following you on LinkedIn and she's written several books, but she's writing a new book and it's a resource manual for parents who've lost children. And she said, would you be the contributing author on the chapter of parents who've lost children to suicide? And I said, I would be honored. Um, I can't, I can tell you what has worked for me. I can tell you what hasn't worked for me. And I can tell you that everyone's journey is unique, you know, but I'll share what I've learned. And um, once again, you know, we had two choices and I did a rather long post, really in honor and memory of Evan today on LinkedIn. And I said, you know, I couldn't have made up our story if I tried. You know, both young men played on the same team at the same small all-male college. Both took their lives coincidentally on World Suicide Prevention Awareness Day, two years apart. Neither even knew the significance of the day. I couldn't make that up. Yeah. But as I said, I could not, I couldn't have made our story up. But once it happened, I couldn't be silent and I couldn't never... Um, go back to where I was before this happened. So we're really, really blessed to have a lot of support here, um, getting these programs in the schools. And I would just champion every state and every community to look into a prevention program that teaches resiliency and the upstream approach to preventing suicide. Yeah. Well put. Those are some great, some great thoughts there, Leslie. I really appreciate the time that you've taken to Again, really, Leslie was the one that reached out to me this time around. It's like, hey, I want to keep doing this. Let's let's make this an annual thing. So, I mean, hopefully next year we'll have some more to talk about and, and we yeah. can get you back on the podcast and, and do a third year in a row. But Sounds again, great, Cal. Yeah, really appreciate it. Leslie'sHope.org. I'll put some links there that everyone can find you at and, and keep up the good work. We'll talk Thank to you, you soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Cal. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you again for listening in today. If you truly are struggling and having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. They are available 24 hours every day, 
and are anxious to help people in need. If you prefer to text, I would recommend the Crisis Text Line. They provide 24-7 support via text message. They're here for everything from anxiety, depression, and suicide. So even if you don't consider yourself suicidal, please text HOME to 741-741. That's H-O-M-E to 741-741. And simply open up about how you're feeling. Until next time, let's all stick around and help each other find hope and see value in life.